going to have a few other announcements at the end of my message. They fit with what we're talking about here. Um, but let me kind of real quick recap for us uh, where we've been. <clears throat> and you're going to have to bear with me because this message, um, Norm and I sat down months ago <laughs> to walk through this message. Uh, but even before that, I had started planning what we were going to be talking about um, when Scott told me, Sean, you want to take that month. And I was really excited about it. Um, and I can share this funny story now because it's funny now. Um, but I don't know if you remember back when President Stumbo joined us uh, for uh, that Sunday. Uh, we got to hear a great message from him. But something very funny happened that morning. Uh, while we were, uh, my family and I were sitting in back there, uh, he started reading the scripture uh, that he was going to do. And I'm like, oh, our church is going to get this twice um, because that's the scripture I already started planning out of. And then he proceeded, which totally a God thing. I believe that God meant for it to happen then instead of two weeks ago when I had originally planned the exact message that President Stumbo gave. My, my family and I, I run it by him. They're looking down the aisle, looking at me going, Dad, did you talk to him? Did he steal your message? And I'm like, no, he was hitting bullet point after bullet point after bullet point, which was amazing. I, I'm not going to lie. At first, I was a little freaked out because it takes me a while to, to put messages together. Norm's over here laughing. Uh, but as I was listening to it, I'm like, this is the message they need to hear now. So, so with some flexing and stuff, um, the message that you guys heard two weeks ago was, was kind of the substitute message that pushed this message today um, to this day in time. And as I continue to prepare it, and uh, I'm kind of a type A sort of guy when it comes to message prep. It's all got to be typed out. It's got to be color-coded. Um, well, God has been just messing with me, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Um, but he has been saying, hey, I want you just to keep sitting here, and I'm going to keep giving you stuff. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you right up until the last minute and keep giving you stuff. And uh, I loved it. A little scary for me, but I, I realized that for me, there, there's sometimes uh, my planning gets in the way of the Spirit. And um, so you're going to get a message out of my quiet time notebook. Um, because God was giving me stuff. I don't know why I brought this out. There's no way I'm sitting still today. Um, there's stuff in here that I just scribbled in about 20 minutes ago. And I'm like, oh yeah. Now some of you are going, oh my gosh, this message is going to be like, three hours long. No, I can be long-winded, but not today. Um, I'm really excited how we're finishing this up, this idea of across the street and over the border. So far, you've heard a couple things. You've, you've heard the first week uh, when Norm shared about the, the demon-possessed man in the tombs, and Jesus left all the good stuff. It's, it goes against who we are to leave the good stuff sometimes. But Jesus left the good stuff and went across the water for one guy, who then shared the kingdom gospel with 10 cities. The following week, you heard a little twist on uh, the rich young ruler. I believe that message is more for us than it ever was for him. But it's that idea that, listen, we as a, as a group of believers need to constantly be asking ourselves, are we providing space for people to ask questions? And are we following Jesus with everything we got, leaving all of our, what we have labeled as wealth, behind? 
Last week, you probably, like Norm said, you've probably a hundred times read past that as you're reading into Easter, into the crucifixion, you've probably read that whole fig tree thing and go, I don't really get it, I'm just going to keep moving. I know I have. But last week, we got to hear that this thing, this, this illustration from the master teacher, Jesus, was about a whole group of folks who thought they had it together, thought they were doing, and, and, and I'm thinking there's some, I'm going to give the, the Jewish folks some grace, that they thought they were doing the right thing, but they had lost sight of their mission. They had lost sight of what they had originally been called to follow God into. And that indictment, it, it rolls through time and comes to us as well. Have we lost sight of what we're calling people to? Are we just calling them to church? Are we just calling them to the warm fuzzies? Are we, or are we really going, gosh, this is our legacy through Christ? This is who we are, like, like the folks back in the temple. That's who they were. This house shall be called a house of prayer where we will give glory to God. And so this week, as we kind of finish up, we're going to look a little bit at who's that for? I know we've been saying that throughout, but I want to remind us again of who's that for. And not only is who that message is for, but who are the delivery folks? What do we look like? One more thought on, on that, that, that idea of we are commissioned people to go over across the street and over the border. We started it weeks ago when we started talking about missions. We've been doing it for the last four weeks. We are called to be the messengers of this kingdom's good news. Let me pray for us. Father God, we just come before you, Lord. I lift up this message. Lord, I, I praise you for what you have already done in my heart. Uh, Father, I pray that these are your words, not mine. And Father, I pray that uh, this message would, would change us all. I give you praise for what you've already done in my heart as you've squished it and molded it. But Father, I pray for us as a body, as, as the bride of Christ, that we would hear this and go. In your dear son's name, amen. So, uh, I have this picture on my computer. Billy's going to put it up for you here. Um, this, this is on my computer. It says this. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And attribution for that is Mr. Beaver. And some of you are going, what? <laughs> but if you're a fan of Narnia, there's this moment when the kids are trying to figure out who Aslan is. Who the king is. And, and, and there's something about us as humans is we want safety. <laughs> we want something safe. And I, and, I, and I have a picture that goes along the si side of this. It didn't fit on the screen, but it's just this really great artistic rendering of a lion's head. And there's something scary about it. And I think that's what Mr. Beaver is saying. He's saying, listen, what, what you're about to get into is filled with risk. And I think that as we kind of talk a little bit about who Peter is going to interact with, we're going to get a glimpse of what it means to see God as not just powerful and loving, but 
dangerous. And dangerous in all the right ways. But we as humans gravitate towards safety. Now, I think there's part of that that is in our created being. I think God wants us to survive. So, so things like running away from bears, that's okay. That's a battle you're more than likely not going to win. Be afraid. Get out of the situation. Now, I've learned a lot when we were planning our trip to Colorado that the worst thing to do is to run, but to be afraid and find safety, is it's in our nature when things are really scary. And I think God instilled that in us. I think he did. I think he said, hey, I, I would like you to survive. I'd like you not to get eaten. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think there are other things in our life that, that do produce fear, that do produce things that, that I, I think that I, I kind of want that tension. But there are plenty of things in our lives that, that we have ascribed fear to that has no power over us. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. Now, it's, it's pretty cliche, and, and I get this, for a pastor to say this statement. I relate to Peter. <laughs> you probably heard that a thousand times from a pastor, and, and, and I get it. I get it. Yeah, we're going to use the Peter illustration again. But I really, I, I really get him. You know, for me, I can relate in the fact that I'm just a normal dude. Um, I grew up in Creston. Uh, you can't get any more ordinary than that. Um, for those of you who know that part of uh, our area. Um, I, I grew up uh, in this normal place of, of coming to see Jesus and him calling me and saying, follow me. And, and, and I remember that there was a tension in that that I think Peter probably experienced when he, when he was thinking, gosh, I own this business uh, of fishing and that's been doing all right, except for the day that he was actually meeting Jesus. It wasn't going well at all. I get that. I, I, I decided to follow Jesus. And, and then I found myself under uh, the mentoring of really godly people. And Peter, of course, was under the godliest, under Jesus. But I found myself in that place and saying stupid things and making stupid decisions. Um, but deciding that, that I'm going to follow as, as this person, my, my leader, follows. And Peter said, I'm going to follow as, as Jesus leads because he's, he is who we should all follow. And, and I think through the moments where my mentors had to say, oh my gosh, Sean, did you just really do that? And I'd have to sit there and I'm like, yes. I didn't mean to, but yeah, I, I did that. And Peter experiences those moments. Um, we had the opportunity to hear how the, whole, the disciples experienced that when they were in the boat and the storm came up. They're with the Son of God. What, what are they afraid of? It's you of little faith. I, I'm that dude. So, so I, I get it. I get the tension. It's a little cliche to, to focus in on Peter and then relate to him. But I, I say that because I think all of you are going, yep, that's me too, at some level. And so we're going to see uh, a moment in time where Peter experiences that. And we're going to be in John chapter 21. So if you want to turn there, you can tell right away that God was making this happen from the get-go because I don't have the, all the little fancy tabs down the side, numbered, ready to put my thumb on. They put ribbons in here for a reason, and that's what I'm using them for. <clears throat> so, where are we in the story? 
<clears throat> a couple weeks ago when Norm Toddy said, hey, listen, you know, don't get just caught up in the headers. Try to figure out where you are contextually. And we are in a place where Jesus has been crucified. The days have passed. He has been resurrected. And here's the thing. For what we're about to hear, you need to know that Jesus has already appeared to the men of this story. Jesus has already appeared to the seven disciples that we're going to hear about today. Now, I don't know about you, um, and, and maybe because they had seen so many supernatural things that resurrection from the dead wasn't so shocking, but um, it does speak to the fact uh, that we do kind of go back to what's comfortable. We'll have a mountaintop experience. A lot of us experienced that when we came to know Jesus, and then we and then we level off. And sometimes we retreat to the comfort. Like I said, we retreat to the safety. And that's what happened here. And we're like, like you guys get used to, we're only going to go a couple verses, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. See that? Again. This is, this is not new stuff. Not new territory. By the Sea of Tiberias, and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. We gravitate towards safety. Peter, the disciples, and Peter most specifically, because it was his idea, went back to the thing that was most comfortable to him before this whole Jesus thing happened. Now, there's even something in here that, that Norman and I have been trying to point out, the fact that there are things, cues in Scripture, that we just kind of jump over. A couple months ago, I shared the story of the disciples leaving everything and following Jesus. And I talked about priorities. What, what, what are we putting the hand to the plow and looking forward and talking about, and even my message a couple weeks ago, I've left father, sister, mother, home. Well, here's the deal. They did. They did. But for those of us in this room who are going, does that mean I've got to just walk out on my family, my job, everything to follow Jesus? No. Peter didn't lose everything. He left everything. There's, there's a slight difference there. He had a boat to go back to. That's, that's not a cheap endeavor. He didn't, he didn't just go out and say, I'm going to go buy a boat today because he had left everything. This was probably his family's fishing business still. He went back to the boat that he captained. He went back to the life that he could control. He went back to safety. He'd experienced one of the most powerful things in history. The death and the resurrection of the Son of God. And when things got tough, because it was scary. If one of my mentors had been killed for what they believed, and I had learned everything they believed, and I had done everything they had done, I would be afraid too. I get that. They hid in this upper room for days. But Jesus conquered all of that. And yet, Peter and the disciples went back to what was safe. They gravitated to safety. What's your safety look like? That's rhetorical. Don't throw it out there. 
What is it that you are comfortable with? What do you go back to when things get tough? I bet we all have it. I bet we all have something. And it may not even be a conscious decision. It just may be what you've known forever. I remember the moment in time, so I came to know Jesus when I was 17. And I remember the moment in time when I had lived more life with Jesus than without. I remember sitting there, it was in, in, in the summer, um, and I go, oh my gosh, this summer is the first year that I've known Jesus longer than I didn't. And I remember sitting there shocked going, what has changed? And, and if you'd seen my journal entry for that day, I'm like, what has changed? There was a lot. But I have to admit, my safety, the place that I gravitate, hadn't necessarily changed. For me, I was an angry, prideful person. And, and I know that doesn't sound like comfort, but it is safety when it's the old life. And you kind of run back to that stuff. And I, and I think to myself, I'm going, gosh, when I get stuck or scared, I, I become irritable. My pride will flare. I, we all have a safety zone that we go back to. We have something that we'll run to. And, and for some of you, it may, be, it may be noble and honorable. It may, it may not just be something horrible like mine. It may be relationships with other human beings over Jesus. But Peter ran back to what was safe. And here's the thing. I don't know that he was running back as much as he was running away from something. Because again, we equate this walk with Christ as something that is to be safe and comfortable sometimes. And just like Mr. Beaver, we should all have the attitude that, what do you mean, safe? No, he's not safe. He's dangerous. Jesus had called these folks, especially these seven and, and the rest of his disciples, to take a big risk. They will hate you because they hate me. <laughs> Jesus told him. But almost in the same breath, he said, but you will do even greater things than I. His great things were very risky and dangerous. It finished with him on the cross. So, so we're running away from some of those risks, but those risks, those fears, they're unwarranted. We see here um, that, that Jesus said to them, listen, you know, there's going to be tribulations. If you look back in John 16, 29 through 33, Jesus warns them. He says, listen, there are going to be these things. They're going to come after you. But when they ran away from things, they ran back to comfort, we see what quickly happens. Their lives become fruitless. In this case, they became fishless. But what happened was when they ran to safety, when they gravitated to safety, they were running away from the presence and power of God when he said, through my son, all things are possible. The fear that you have is false. And safety and fear, false fear is fruitless. Safety and false fear, I think that's the next bullet. Safety and false fear I was, at least I had the wherewithal to get bullets for you guys. <clears throat> Safety and false fear is fruitless. Look how it continues here. So we see that they caught no fish. They've run away from the truth that Jesus gave them. 
And now they're stuck again. And it continues in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? I love Jesus. Yeah, think about this. He is God with skin on. He knows darn well they don't have any fish. Ain't got nothing. They ran away from what he had already started in their lives, and they're already seeing the fruit of that. Dear children, do you have any fish? Anybody tells you that Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor. They clearly haven't dove into Scripture. They answered him, no. And, and you'd think, and this is going to be clear here in a second, you'd think that they would start, these bells would be going off because they've been in this moment before. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Okay, this stage is probably a little shorter than most common biblical time fishing boats. It's probably about this wide. So it was basically going from here, which was fruitless, fishless, to over there, that far. What is that, eight feet? Probably less. Again, these bells, like, they're not even bells now. Fireworks should be going off for the disciples because they've been here before. So they cast it. And they were, (laughs) this is great. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Fireworks are probably now becoming stings. Maybe little stabs of, uh uh-oh. That disciple whom Jesus loved, again, here's, here's just one of those little moments in Scripture. John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. I, I don't, I, I honestly, I don't because Scripture is God-breathed. I don't think it was this prideful, arrogant thing. I don't think it was going to look at me. I think Jesus really did, like a father, grab up John. He was more than likely the youngest. Um, he's the disciple that ran out of the garden naked. Uh, when Jesus was uh, betrayed and arrested. So I believe that there was something very fatherly and sonship-like in that relationship. And I bet John had every reason to say that. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And I bet at that moment, they remembered back to Luke chapter 5, when they were called. When they were initially called to follow Jesus, I will come, I will make you, if you come, I will make you fisher of men. Because that day, they had been fishing all night, they caught nothing, and Jesus said, hey, throw your nets over here. And they caught in a huge load. And that moment in time is what caused them to follow Jesus. You see, they went back to what was comfortable, and what was comfortable was fishless. And now this moment, John is realizing it. And it gets even better. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. So, awkward moment, but fishermen in that time, because of the temperature and getting their clothes wet all the time, would strip down to their skivvies to fish. They'd hang them up on the middle of the boat to stay as dry as possible. 
And then at the end of the day, after they pull in all the nets and all the fish guts, they'd put their clothes back on. <clears throat> now, I want you to get the, the craziness of Peter here, and this is where some of the things I can relate, that when the, the awesomeness of the Lord comes upon us, we do silly things. Um, and that's okay. I mean, David said, I, I will do even more undignified things than this. <laughs> Peter puts his clothes... I, I don't... I don't think it's probably a great thing or a safe thing to swim in full robes and coverings. But Peter's not thinking that. <laughs> Peter's like, oh, that's Jesus. I got to get to him as fast as possible. And it doesn't say he just got on the side of the boat and lowered himself into the water. He threw himself into the water. That is how much he wanted to be with Jesus. Backstory. Just a few days before this, he had denied Jesus three times. He probably felt an overwhelming guilt. And now he wants to be, whenever Jesus shows up, he wants to be there. He wants to be there as fast as possible. He is willing to be silly for Jesus. He was willing to risk drowning in this moment. It goes on. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards. Peter swam in his robes a football field to get to Jesus. Of course he's not safe. He's the king, I tell you. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. <laughs> Here again, Jesus, I love him. With fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus already had the meal. <laughs> Now we could sit there and go, well, that was a jerk move, Jesus. <clears throat> Why did you make him do all the work if you already had breakfast? Or we can make, again, the point that the master teacher makes, which is you don't need to bring anything to the table. He brings it all. He brings the bread. He brings the fishes. He brings the power. He brings the thing that covers the fear of taking these risks. He doesn't really need us, but he does want us, and he does call us. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fishes that you have just caught. Did I just say fishes? Bring some of the fish. I've said it twice now. Those are my crest and roots. Just take them as they come. <clears throat> bring some of the fish that you have just caught. You see, God through Christ, calls us to join him in what he's doing and bring the things that we do have to offer. And in this case, it was 153 fish. John wanted everybody to know the power of Jesus in this simple miracle. When they got on land, they saw the charcoal fire, and although there were so many fish, they, their net did not tear. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask who you are, which is probably a good thing. They had some self-awareness going, it is Jesus. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This, one, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus calls us to take risks. He says, I've got these things that will cover you. They'll, they'll take care of the fear. Don't worry so much. Bring what you have to offer. Don't get caught up in the fear that would have you walk away from me and my power. 
<clears throat> the hall that they brought in was not theirs. It was Jesus. As we go across the street over the border, the hall is not ours. And, and, and I say that as a man who has been proud in those moments when he has sat and gave a gospel presentation and people came to know Jesus. I say that as someone who goes, woo, that was awesome. Okay, I say that from this side of it, saying, I, I have many a time said, man, that was a, that was a kicktail message. I did that. And I had to be slapped and, 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 and reminded that no, don't let your pride get in the way. But this is important too. It's also for those of you who fear doing this, who are on the other side of saying, I want to share the message of the kingdom with my neighbors and my friends. I want to go across the street and over the border. Those of you who have that fear going, oh, if I screw this up, remember that it's not your hall. Just as much as I need to kind of stand in this zone of going, it's not because of what I said or my power, it's also not your power that gets you across the street or over the border. It's not your power or the fears that you have that produce fruit. It's Jesus. It's his nets that are filled, not yours. So you take a lot of responsibility and go, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm stifled by fear and not wanting to take this risk because I don't want to goof it up. I don't know if I have the right things to say. I don't know if I'm smart enough. Stop. It's not your message. It's his. And it's very simple. This was a gentle reminder to Peter of, and the disciples of what their role really is. And it's a gentle reminder to us that, that our role like we've been saying over this month, is to follow him. Follow him. Now for Peter, it doesn't stop there. For Peter, it, it marches on here. In verses 15 through 19, we see a great moment. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my, my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he said to him. Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death was to glorify Jesus. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I love Jesus and how he knows us at the depths of our heart. Peter, a man who had denied Jesus three times, who was probably struggling with the guilt of telling people he didn't know the Savior of mankind, was just given the opportunity three times to come back into right relationship. And in those times, again, Jesus being the master teacher, he also tells Peter what he needs to be about. And us, as followers of Jesus, need to be about the way that he relays this idea of the lambs and the sheep, 
is a picture of the gospel being presented and then discipled in the lives of others. We all start as lambs. We all start helpless, needing protection, falling into this place of of surrender with Jesus. So Jesus says to his disciples, says to this man who's just normal and ordinary, feed my lambs, give them the message of Jesus. But he doesn't stop there because I think that's where a lot of these evangelistic movements have have gone as they stop at that point where the message is shared. People raise a hand, pray a prayer, come forward, give their lives to the Lord, they're baptized, and and we just kind of, great, and we forget that that's just a start. Jesus doesn't forget. He knows. He teaches Peter this Tend my sheep. Take care of them. They still need the protection of the Lord. They need this message. They need you to continue to come alongside them and shepherd them. All of us, as we go over across the street and over the border, we have to remember that if it's in our power and in our ability, we need to continue to walk that journey with them. We need to continue to walk alongside them. Now, sometimes you're going to share the message with someone, a complete stranger, and and you're just going to hope and pray that that they find someone that comes to the tending part. And you need to say to them, if you just share your faith and say to them, good job, high-five them and send them on their way, if you don't say to them, listen, this is just a start, please find a place where this can be nurtured, where this can be fed. Get yourself in a place where someone can help you tend to this new thing. And then he goes on with Peter specifically and says, now feed my sheep. You see, when you feed something, it grows. And this message for us is that this thing that we do, this this thing called Christianity is about quantity and quality. It should grow. Our faith every day should grow. The people we share the kingdom gospel with should grow. Those people should then exponentially share that and it should grow. When we feed this through Christ, it should boom. And if all we're doing, and this is the danger in talking about outreach, if all we do is share the gospel and stop when they commit their lives to the Lord, we have not shared the whole gospel. This is a soapbox, so bear with me for a second. This is the gospel from front to back. Not just four books in the New Testament. And not just evangelism. Now, I know that's years and years of tradition, and I will still call it the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. But this gospel... The good news of the kingdom message Jesus started talking about before this was even written. The gospel is this incredible love story from the beginning of time until the end of time of the God of the universe reaching down to us through his son so that we might have eternal life. That does not have a bookend. And if we just tell people the gospel is coming to know Jesus, surrendering their life there, and then walk away from it, we have missed it. It's so much more. 
And that's where we pick up here with Peter. I'm going to synopsize because I'm tight on time. Turn to Acts chapter 10. And this is the part that, that over these last months that, that God and the Holy Spirit have been pressing on me. Say this, Sean. <clears throat> Finish with this. And I got to give a little attribution. Um, when we were at council in May, uh, a message was given where I got actually one of the slides that we're going to use today, but it, it fell so tight in line with this message. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's how we finished this. Peter, he just got recommissioned. He knows, and, and just shortly after this in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, now go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, the Spirit will come upon you and give you this power. Walk away from fear. It's, it's false. You don't need to be afraid of that. And now we see in Acts chapter 10, Peter putting it into action. And it's an amazing moment. So we see in the first verses, 9 through 16, Peter is hungry. I can relate. There again, I can relate to Peter. And he goes up on the roof of this house. He's visiting in Joppa. And God gives him this vision. He puts him to sleep, and he shows him this sheet being lowered from the sky with animals on it, alive, that according to the Torah would be unclean. And that Jews had been told for years, do not eat this, this will corrupt you. And Jesus, God, says, take, kill, eat. And Peter rebukes it. No, I can't. No unclean thing has ever touched my lips. He was a good Jew. Three times. I don't know what it is about Peter and three. <laughs> but I know for me it probably takes more than three times sometimes to get a point across. But three times this vision comes upon Peter. Take, kill, eat. And I wonder if Peter at that moment was like, oh my goodness, why? I wonder if he was like, yep, there's another third. But fast forward into the rest of the story. <clears throat> 17 through 33, we see two worlds collide. You see, in a far-off place, this man named Cornelius, a Roman soldier, a very well-respected Roman soldier, has been told through another vision, through an angel, that he should send for this Peter. Tells Cornelius exactly where Peter is and should go. So he sends his men. Now, what we hear in this scripture, in this section, second part of uh, the story in Acts 10, is that Cornelius is referred to as a God-fearing man. That usually means that he is a convert to Judaism. You see, he's a Gentile. He's a Roman. He's outside of the plan. Kind of what we heard last week with Norm's message. He's outside the plan. He's unclean. The law that Peter had grown up with said, hey, I can't even go to your house. But yet, these two things are happening simultaneously, and now these worlds are colliding. Cornelius says, man, men show up. They tell Peter that they should come with him. They tell him that, they had, that their master had a vision, and he goes. And he enters a Gentile's house. He says to them, in a vision, it was made clear to me that no thing, if it is from God, is unclean. And he shares the gospel 
and the entire household gives their lives to the Lord. Peter risked something here. He risked his reputation. In that scripture in Acts chapter 10, it says that other Jewish converts, Jewish Christians were following him. Some of those were kind of grouchy people. They give, they give Peter and Paul um, some adversarial kind of moments, to say the very least, about this whole new Gentile thing. But Peter doesn't care. His God called him to go do this. His God took away the fear. And his God did the work. And now these two worlds have collided. They are now one. This message, this gospel, this kingdom is available for everyone. I've got a couple slides to, couple to remind you and a couple new ones. The first one is the ministry of Jesus. We started this whole series with this. The dotted line, Billy's going to trace it again with the, the telestrator. The dotted line is the ministry of Jesus. It's not that far. I told you it was like going from here to Akron to Canton through northern Wayne County and back. About that many miles. The next picture that's up is kind of the perspective of Ohio and Israel. He's still tracing. You can go to the Ohio one. That that's how big Israel really is in real life to Ohio. And I said, listen, if Jesus can take the middle section of the blue, I think in our world now we could probably spread out a bit. Take some risks. Get over the fear. But let me put it even in bigger perspective because I think this is important. See, in our minds, we think the disciples didn't risk that big. They were just right there. Next slide is where traditionally... The disciples died. Stretched out all over the map to India, to Central Africa, to Northern Africa, to Europe. The disciples got over their fear and sticking it out in the upper room and said, I'm going. And traditionally, we don't know for sure. Some of them we do know for sure. Some of them, some say that Simon could have died uh, in the British Isles. He could have died in India. Um, you know, record keeping's not really that great when you're being, you know, boiled in oil uh, or crucified upside down. Um, you're a criminal, so they're not keeping your records. But these are traditionally where they ended up. Now, let me give you one more big perspective in the next slide. That is where Ohio falls in the center of where the disciples died. Ooh, I know for me it was kind of a punch in the gut. It's easy to look at the Israel and Ohio side and go, ooh, I can do this. But when you take into account the same map that we just had up there for the disciples and we put Ohio in the center of it, are we risking like that? Are we getting over the false fears to go? Are we willing to stretch out? The recommissioning of Peter ends with Jesus saying, follow me. And have the team can come back on up. It ends with this idea of, we got to be constantly reminded, follow me. Well, we're going to hopefully over the next few weeks and months give you opportunities to say yes to, hey, will you feed my lambs? Will you tend my sheep? Will you feed my sheep?
We've talked a lot about Alpha. Bruce is here again. He's back there. His, his tall frame and bald head, I can see it. So <clears throat> he'll be back at the table. If you are interested in having a place where people can ask questions, hear about this kingdom gospel, invite him to Alpha. It's a space where they can have those conversations. If you want to help out with Alpha, grab Bruce. He loves talking about Alpha. And if someone ahead of you is talking too long, just nudge him out of the way and get in on the conversation. In a few weeks, we're going to, actually a few months, we're going to be offering um, an evangelism seminar on a Saturday. Where if you don't know how to share your faith, we're going to help you do that. We're going to give you very practical ways to do that. And we're going to have these opportunities through community groups and through our mission team to serve. To go out across the street. On October 15th, it's a Sunday, it's going to be really weird, talking about shaking it up. But we're not going to do church the way we normally do. On October 15th, we're coming here to rally, and then we're leaving. And we're going to go serve our community. We're going to go show the gospel on a Sunday, what Jesus looks like as a church, as a body. You see, Jesus came and he said, listen, I can do all these things through me. It's possible, not through you. Follow me. I will make you fishermen of men. And this thing, this, this body will grow. Are you willing to take that risk? Are you willing to go after the lambs? Are you willing to throw yourself into deep waters for Jesus? Stand with me as we close in prayer. Father God, I pray that you would strike at our heart. Father, that you would call us to not look at you as just safe, but look at you as dangerous in all the right ways. So Father, now as we come before you and raise our voices loudly in praise, Father, I pray that you would instill on us that we follow a dangerous God who wants to chase down the least of these. In your dear son's name, amen.